0: That was the opening music from 20th Century Fox's uh, South Pacific, released in 1958, and I'm Matt Johnson.
1: And I'm Bob Johnson, and welcome back to our uh, podcast.
0: Yeah, you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the web at www.classicmoviereviews.net. And on iTunes, just do a search for classic movie reviews.
1: This was quite a different movie than the one two weeks ago. When I saw this originally in 1959, I had the same reaction to it then as I had after watching it this weekend, which is, wow, I can't quite figure out what I think of this movie. It's everything from... uh, Political statement to a wonderful musical to a war movie. I was all over the place. Uh, There were a lot of the uh, Hammerstein movies that I watched in the 1950s Showboat, Oklahoma, Carousel. I think my favorite of those is Oklahoma in 1955. It doesn't seem as aged or dated as uh, the other ones do, and the music in all of them is spectacular.
0: Or something about the movie. I'm not sure if it was the look of it or the direction. Or I'm not sure what. But it, it felt it felt uh, dated to me as well. And when they when they got to that island where the the uh, native Tong- Tonganese lived, right. That village looked like it could be a thousand years old. You know. I know. But at the same time. That whole part on the island felt like some kind of crazy theme park. <laughs> I half expected
1: to see Fantasy Island and Ricardo Montalban greeting the people when they came over
0: on the boat. Yeah, totally. That's exactly what it kind of felt like. Uh, you you mentioned that the the director, Joshua Logan, had some successful movies, right? Oh, very much so.
1: He did Picnic... Uh, in the mid-50s, 1950s, and then he did uh, uh, some other... Uh, Sayonara, and they were very popular movies. In his later career, he had other movies, but they didn't do quite as well. I think he specialized in uh, large-scale, large-budget musical type movies.
0: You know, in in terms of that tinting, I think that's the first thing that's, that that I'd like to talk about, because that was so strange, and it was really distracting at some parts.
1: Oh, it, it was so much so. Um...
0: So for those of you that haven't seen the movie, there's a an effect that they used where, and I noticed it was mainly when they were singing, that they would completely tint the picture so that it would be overall yellow or red or orange or blue. And it it wasn't a subtle tinting either it was like the it was all the color got washed out and it was like a black and white tinted image in most cases
1: i did a little research on that um not not a lot but i looked up why it had been done and the director joshua logan had put in some tinting but it was i guess more subtle and then the studio did some additional tinting and I think that the copy of the movie that we watched was the one that had the, the bolder tinting because I found it to be distracting from the music and the story and really not necessary.
0: Yeah, and here they are in this incredible location with these beautiful scenes of the beaches and the ocean and the islands. And they had some great map painting as well, like that, that mysterious island that they kind of were referencing at the beginning of the movie. Uh, looked like, something out of one of those uh, you know, monster movies where they're going go to go out to the mysterious island. It looked really sort of ominous and, and unusual. So there's all this thing, all these great aspects of the picture that were working well and then it, the first song kicks in and this tinting comes in and it was like, whoa, what the heck? And it was funny because I was watching, I was finishing it up last night and I had the door to my office open and my son, my older son walks by and he like, stops, and he, like, looks in the window, in, in the door, and he goes, what are you watching? Because <laughs> <laughs> it was at one of those scenes where it was, like, completely red, and I said, well, it's just an old movie that they tinted, like, in camera. I think it was something that they'd done while they were filming it, and then when they processed it, or when it was developed, it went way too far in the, in, into the, the tint level than what the director, I think, had envisioned. And he goes, well, you know what, today, it'd just be a simple Control-Z. And it took me a second to realize what he was saying, (laughs) but what he meant was that he would just do an undo, you know, because it would all be digital. And Control-Z is the shortcut for an undo on the the computer. So, you know, he immediately just jumped to, well, they just undo it now. But back then... (laughs) You know, back then it was baked into the film. There's not much they can do about it. There wasn't much. The the one
1: time, that that's funny about how easy it could be to change it today, and that uh, painting of Valley High would be quite different today with special effects. Um, the one time that I did think the tempting worked was about two hours into the movie when they were singing the song, You've Got to Be Taught, in terms of, of prejudice and, and, and all of that and it went to total black and white. And it became very disturbing in terms of the presentation of the scene. But it certainly drove home to me the the message in that song.
0: There was another scene that I thought the tinting worked pretty well. It was after the big party, and they were kind of talking about how they're like an old married couple. This is Emile and Nellie. The two uh two of the leads, uh Emil being the Frenchman who's living on the island and had been there for like 15 years, and Nellie being the young nurse who's on the island there with the with the Navy and the Marines. Nellie's falling in love with Emile, and he Emile invites her over for a party at his house, and she says that they're like an old married couple after the party kind of winding down, and they had tinted it sort of a blue color, and it, and it gave it a very sort of cool... Yes, night kind of feel to it, and I thought, you know, maybe that was more what the director was going for. There was sort of to give you that mood, Uh, but in most cases, it just it just didn't work. It it was just distracting.
1: I felt like uh, the director had come upon this tinting process and kind of gotten enamored by it. (laughs) It might have been okay in two or three scenes, but there must have been fifteen of them that were tinted.
0: I think every time they were singing, I was trying to keep track of that, but yeah, they used it a lot. You know, something else that I, I wanted to talk about was the fact that it must have been so uncomfortable to be a woman on that island, because the very first scene of the movie is about all these guys and how horny they are.
2: <laughs> Why does it have to be off limits? You can get everything over there, shrunken heads, bracelets. Only officers can sign out boats. I'll get a boat, all right. I'll latch on to some officer who's got some imagination, who would like to see that Boar's Tooth ceremonial as much as I would. It's a pip of a ceremonial. Dancing, drinking, everything. Why, you big phony? We all know why you want to go to Bally High. Yeah? Why? Because the French planters put the young women over there when they heard the G.I.s were coming. That's why. Just as if they didn't trust us. The trouble with you is, ain't boys' teeth. It's women. It is boar's teeth. And women.
1: Oh, I know.
0: In that song. <laughs>
1: oh yeah. There's nothing like a dame.
2: And
0: and then, uh, and, then all, and then all the women just right on cue come running down the beach in their short shorts and.
2: She's a nice little girl. But some of them nurses, the officers can have. They got 'em. Well, they can have him. So suppose a dame ain't bright or completely free from flaws. Or as faithful as a bird dog or as kind as Santa Claus. It's a waste of time to worry over things that they have not. Be
0: thankful for the things they've got. One, two.
2: day and nothing looks like a day there are no drinks like a day and nothing thinks like a day nothing acts like a day or attracts like a day there ain't a thing
0: No, it's like, oh God.
1: That that was a part of it that didn't ring true to me. I mean it's like this horrible war is going on all across the world. And here they're singing at and doing the laundry and Did you see that laundry machine that the guy was using? It looked like it was from nineteen twenty. And then these beautiful nurses come by
0: God. Yeah, they were either doing laundry in there or, or brewing alcohol. I wasn't sure which <laughs> Or both. <laughs> or both.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that was Well, I think some of the scenes were put in just to kind of connect the music. the music is fantastic. It's wonderful music. I remember when it came out in 1958 and 59, the record album, South Pacific, was hugely popular. Everybody I knew had a copy of the album.
0: Well, and the songs, I mean, the songs like Some Enchanted Evening and Wash That Man Right Out of My Hair, and then the the one that you mentioned earlier about You've Got to Be Taught, yeah, you know, as I was watching this, it sort of dawned on me that this movie, in a lot of ways, has sort of seeped into our culture in 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 ways that I wasn't even aware of. Because I obviously I knew about the, at least those first two songs I was familiar with, uh, and but I didn't know they came from this movie, or I guess originally the the Broadway musical.
1: I think there were half a dozen that were like on the top uh, level of uh, record sales. In 58,
0: 59, and 60. I liked what you said about it. It's sort of a, a a musical, a comedy, a war movie, a political statement. Uh, one of the things that got me wanting to watch this movie was the NPR uh, uh, report that they're doing. The, you have to describe racism in your life in six words. And a lot of people submitted to that project the six words that you've got to be carefully taught. Is that right? You've got to be carefully taught. Yeah. Yeah. And, And they were saying that this movie when they watched it really sort of drove home that point about racism isn't something that you're born with but that you've really got to be taught to hate. And I was kind of shocked actually because of I guess my upbringing and But that Nellie, when she found out that Emil had two kids from a a native Tongolese woman, that she was, she just ran off and she couldn't handle it.
3: Aren't they adorable? Those big black eyes staring at you out of those sweet little faces. (laughs) Are they Henry's?
2: They're mine.
3: Oh, of course they are. They look exactly like you, don't they? (laughs) Where do you hide their mother?
2: She's dead. Nelly,
3: she's Emil. They are yours,
2: yes, Nelly. I am their father,
3: And, and their mother was a
2: Polynesian. She was beautiful, Nelly, and charming, too.
3: And you loved her.
2: I want you to know I have no apologies. I came here as a young man. I lived as I could. Of course. But I have not been selfish. No woman ever hated me or tried to hurt me.
3: No, no woman could ever... Want to hurt you, Emil? What time is it? I promised to get that jeep back. Oh, oh, this is awful! Oh, what? Wh- just look at the time!
2: Please, Nelly, wait. I- I'll drive you home.
3: Oh, you'll do no such thing. But anyway, I couldn't leave the jeep here. I- I've got to get it back. Don't I- go
2: now, Nelly. Don't go yet,
0: please. Oh, I-
3: well, I I have to go. Yes.
1: She couldn't run fast enough.
0: But, but then when she, when she thinks that he may be dead and not coming back from his mission to the island, I mean, there was a scene, it was the very last scene in the movie, and she's serving the two, his two kids lunch, and she's doing her best to speak with them because they only speak French, and she knows a little bit of French. And you could see that she'd really come around, and she even said that, I love you so much and I'll take care of you. And she starts to sing their favorite song that their dad would sing to them. And then here he comes up over the the hill and...
3: Because I love you very much. Je t'aime. Je vous aime. Now mangez. Chanté, Nelly. Mm, I will not sing that song. You just want to laugh at my French accent. All right. But you've got to help me. Dites-moi Pourquoi La vie est belle La vie est belle Dites-moi again it
2: was that was
0: a that was a great way to end the movie that really got to me I was kind of getting choked up at that point.
1: It was a it was a great ending, and uh, and that place that he had looked like it would be today worth several million dollars. My goodness sakes! What a view!
0: That was awesome. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, s- several of the movies that uh, Hammerstein did in the fifties had political overtones mixed in with the music. Showboat dealt with racial. Uh, relations, Oklahoma about abuse, uh, and then, of course, South Pacific uh, had that in it. Carousel was one that I just, I didn't get a chance to look it up. I'm not sure what the political undertones were in it. It was made in 1956. Uh, I was was surprised, too, Matt, when I found that this movie had been re-released in 1983. I don't remember that at all.
0: Like re-released into the theater?
1: Yes, it said that uh, the Samuel Goldwyn Company in 1983 re-released it for distribution.
0: And I, I have no memory of any of that. So, I I think it got remade a couple years ago, but it's not something that I really paid attention to because it's just not... I mean, a lot of these movies that we're watching as part of the podcast are new to me, and I would never have probably watched them. Otherwise, so it's kind of again, like I said, it's opening up my eyes on on a lot of these different uh directors and styles of movie making so it's been it's been good that way.
1: The other thing that's been fun is it shows the change in movie making over the last fifty to sixty years. It's just uh so different when I see a movie today versus one of these from almost sixty years ago.
0: And if you look at that movie On the Town, which was the other musical that we've, we've reviewed, it, it sort of had that manic, sort of high-energy craziness to it that this movie did in, in some of the scenes. And I, I feel like that was the way that musicals were made back then. And and you mentioned that one of your favorite musicals was, was Dirty Dancing, which what kind of a more of a drama with the music put in there, and it, it, a really different kind of a, a feel to it than these older musicals
1: oh the contrast between dirty dancing and singing in the rain would be enormous it'd be fun to do a comparison
0: yeah
1: they're about uh 35 years apart
0: i, I definitely want to talk about liette and um the lieutenant
1: john Kier. Uh,
0: yeah his character name
1: uh joseph cable yeah, Cable.
0: Cable Liet and, and Joe Cable. I, I definitely want to talk about that. But uh as I was watching the movie at first I, I didn't like Emile very much. Like he was the Frenchman and he seemed kind of suave and too yeah. too slick. But then as I as we started to learn about his backstory and how he killed a man in his town his small town in Italy and, and why he did that and and I love his speech about bullies.
2: When I was twenty two I thought the world hated bullies as much as I did. I was foolish. I killed one. I was forced to flee to an island. Since then, I have asked no help from anyone or any country. I have seen these bullies multiply and grow strong. And the world sat by and watched. Oh, the hell with this, Debec. Let's be honest. Aren't you just a guy in love with a girl and you're putting her above everything else in the world? Yes. I do care about my life with her more than anything else in the world. It is the only thing that is important to me. This I believe in. This I'm sure of. This... I have. I cannot risk
0: to lose it. Uh, and then that combined with his the fact that he had married a, a native Tongalese woman and had those kids. By the end of the movie, I just thought he was the best part of the, of the story.
1: I felt that way also. Um, his character changed in my mind as the movie progressed. Uh, and got and got uh, to be a better person through all the things that he did. And that when he was singing in that uh, uh, scene where they're, they're singing, you've got to be carefully taught, I thought that was just a wonderfully well done uh, moment. The thing that I found distracting, though, is that some of the singing was done by other people. Yeah. So John Kerr was, there was someone dubbed in for his singing, and so... The same for Rosano Brazzi and uh, Juanita Hall, who was uh, Bloody Mary. And I found that to be distracting, and it was much more believable when Mitzi Gaynor and Ray Wollston did their own singing, to me anyway.
0: It's, it's too bad, too, because of the little background reading I did about the movie, I, I guess Juanita Hall was in the Broadway musical and did her own singing in in the musical. And then for whatever reason, like I think they made some really weird decisions on this movie, like having her be dubbed over by somebody else. uh, I don't get it. I I think she must've been a very competent singer in order to be in the Broadway musical.
1: I wondered about that myself. I, I, I don't know. I I know. I mean, the songs and the singing were outstanding. It just didn't fit quite with the characters of Lieutenant Cable and uh,
0: Emile. Yeah, and then and then Nellie, the other. So to me, there's four main characters in the story: Emil, Nellie, um, Lieutenant Cable, and I. I can't decide if Liette would be a main character, but she's kind of pivotal to. The storyline, the plot. But Nellie, even to the very end of the movie, I I, kind of didn't like her that much because she seemed a little bit sort of wishy-washy and uh, kind of like she was just not sure what she wanted to do. I'm not sure that she was fully 100% committed to him at the end, although... I think she probably was because of the way she got so attached to his kids.
1: I had that same reaction and I I didn't know if it was the way it was intended to be through the script and direction or it was her acting skills. I I don't know. Yeah. But I felt the same way. Although she's one terrific singer. She oh, did yeah. her own singing. Yeah.
0: Great singer and I thought the acting was 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 good. But it was some of the things like as soon as uh, they got done with the song about uh, some enchanted evening and he kind of professes his love for her and then she just immediately runs off when her Jeep shows up and to take her back to the base. And uh, it was some of the things like that where she just would kind of get closer to him and then pull back really quickly and get closer to him and pull back really quickly. Um
1: I, I agree.
0: And then uh, Lieutenant Cable, I, I I liked his character, but I got to tell you, I was pretty shocked that, that the, in the fact that they killed him at the end. I know. I had
1: forgotten that, and uh, it surprised me, too. I knew that one of the two main characters died, but I thought it was Emil, And in my mind, I was surprised by that because I... I remembered it wrong from the first time I saw it. I was looking up uh, some other people were scheduled to be cast for the Lieutenant Cable part. If I have this right, two of the potential candidates were Paul Newman and James Dean. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, well, I could see Paul Newman, but I'm not sure about James Dean, although he was a terrific actor. I hope I have that right
0: in my notes. Um, either one of them would have been great, but and the the person that did play him, I'm not as familiar with his work, so I, he, he wasn't a, a name that I was like really familiar with going into this.
1: He uh, he was in t- movies and television, and then he became a lawyer here in Los Angeles and practiced law for like uh, thirty forty years, and just passed away last year. And he had a law practice. He kind of got out of the entertainment business and did maybe a television show now and then, but uh, he had quite an interesting background. I just went back and I looked at the song list, the musical list. There were eight songs in the movie that were very popular when the movie was released. So it's no wonder that we remember the music as being beautiful. Wow. So, Liette, what, what was your reaction?
0: Well, first I'd like to talk about Lieutenant Cable, because um, I liked his character. Right from the get-go, he seemed like a really young guy, but kind of take charge. Um, but, but when they got to, to that island, I swear it was like the movie turned into some kind of psychedelic like drug trip or something.
1: Oh right! When they when they got to
0: Bally High, yeah, and and then so he meets Liette, and of course Bloody Mary's there, and, and she turns out to be Liette's mom, which presented kind of a uh, a weird like what's the uh, continuity problem with the movie because Bloody Mary spoke perfect English, but her daughter Liette only spoke French. Why wouldn't her daughter speak English as well? It At didn't least make some of them to me, yeah.
2: What's this all
3: about? You wait.
2: There's nobody around here.
3: You wait, Lieutenant.
2: What's going on, Mary? What...
3: You like? Liat. Liat. Is French name, but she no French girl. She talk a niece, like me. We are very pretty people, no?
0: and then they fall like immediately in love it's like literally love at first sight and they kiss the first time they've met and yeah. uh, you know and and then they spend more time together over the course of an, i guess a number of weeks and he goes to the island a few different times and they they do seem to be falling in love with each other uh but it it didn't feel very believable to me it, it just felt felt like sort of this dreamy sort of romance that would happen but that could never really survive outside of those circumstances. And the other, the other thing I didn't believe was that he forgot about the fact that he was engaged. Come on, I mean, I know that you kind of you're in your own little world there, but how could he just sort of forget about the fact that he was engaged? Um, well,
1: two thing, two things got me thinking about the psychedelic nature of it. One is the whole tinting color combo thing, and then Liette just sort of. Appears like poof. She just is there, like in a in a dream or something. And I'm wondering to myself, did Bloody Mary slip old Lieutenant Cable some kind of a, a drink that made him start to hallucinate? It was it was a strange fifteen minute part of the movie. I tell you.
0: And the other thing that got me too was that Liette looks so Vietnamese to me. Like she looks like some of my relatives since. My wife is Vietnamese and she didn't look anything like uh, Bloody Mary but it, it comes back to the fact that for most people especially in the 1950s they wouldn't have picked up on that you know and, and I think what I liked about that whole that whole interaction between the two even though it felt very dreamlike and, and not very real, was that it did have that uh, interracial um, yes. aspect to it. And I guess that that's, uh, was a huge deal at the time when this movie came out. I like the, the interracial part of the movie and uh, Bloody Mary said something that made me laugh out loud because she was really pushing uh, Lieutenant Cable to marry Liette and she says,
3: First minute I see you, I know you write man for Liette and she write girl for you. You have special good babies. I know, <laughs> yeah, right.
1: <laughs> Although you just met, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there were there were a lot of movies in the fifties that started this change in in the culture of our country. There, you know, the defiant ones with Sidney Poitier and Tony Curtis. This movie and and many others were. It was a huge area of beginning to transition. And in the 60s, it got even more accelerated. So we're kind of at the front end of that whole change with this movie.
0: So that was that. That was a part that I really liked about the movie. Um, there were some parts that made me feel sad, too, because there was something about watching all these servicemen line up on the beaches to get loaded into the carriers that, yes, you know, you're, you're thinking... They're sitting there on the beach, they're bored out of their mind, it's hotter than heck, they have nothing to do but just sit there and wait, and they're going to get loaded onto these ships, and then they're going to go off and fight, and just knowing from movies and documentaries about how awful those battles were, you know, it the movie doesn't really cover that very much, but... You know, just reading into it, I, I kind of felt bad for all those guys, and looking at how young they were, and how many of them didn't come back. So, you know, that kind of gets more to the war movie aspect of the of the movie that you had mentioned.
1: Yeah, it's the it's the, and there weren't more than maybe ten or fifteen minutes in the entire movie about that. It reminded me a little bit of Twelve O'Clock High, and the uh, the age of those people, those men, were probably late teens, early to mid-twenties. That's amazing. Uh, My favorite parts of the movie were the scenery. It could not have been more lovely, I don't think. And the location filming made it great. And then just the complexity of the story, all the different things that were going on.
0: I. I liked all those things as well, and then I liked specific things like when Cable was talking about how, how could Nellie possibly like Emile? He's so much older than her. And then the commander gets all indignant and says...
2: He's kept a few secrets from her, hasn't he? Well, you don't spring a couple of Polynesian kids on a woman right off the bat. I'm afraid we aren't going to get much out of her. She's obviously in love with him. Well, that's hard to believe, sir. They tell me he's a middle-aged man. Cable? It is a common mistake for boys of your age and athletic ability to underestimate men who have reached their maturity. Sir, I didn't mean... Young women frequently find a grown man attractive. Strange as it may seem to you. I, myself, am over 50. I am a bachelor. And cable. I do not, by any means, consider myself
1: through. (laughs) He looked like he weighed
0: about 100 pounds,
1: the commander.
0: Tiny guy. I liked that part. I I liked the part where, uh, let's see luther who was the kind of the i'm not sure what his rank was probably private or something like that oh luther billis yeah billis and he had that tattoo on his belly (laughs) yeah right and there was a part where he was in the raft and the tattoo was washing off (laughs) Oh, i I missed that i missed it didn't you wonder how he happened to get on that plane Uh, yeah that was so weird it was another one of those disjointed parts of the movie that didn't make any sense but just added a comedic element to it i guess you remember when we when we talked about uh, on the town and they had that chase scene through the through Manhattan, and yes, right, and, and how that seemed so weird. There were parts of this movie that felt like that too. That just seemed like there... why, why was that there? That was really strange. And I
1: think it was to get from song ten to song eleven. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I'm looking up Ray Walston. I believe he was a sergeant in the movie. A
0: sergeant, okay.
1: I think so, and he had quite a career uh, in movies and television playing. That same kind of character, yeah, kind of I, a
0: oddball. I definitely recognized him. I've seen him in lots of movies and TV shows. So, uh, What parts of the movie didn't you like very much? <laughs> uh, let's see. I had three that kind
1: of stuck out. One is I didn't care for the dubbing that was done on the singing done by John Kier, Juanita Hall, and Rosano Brazzi. Uh the store the second thing is sometimes the story seemed disjointed to me and i'd send a note to you would john Kier and and uh liette be that serious that quickly when they were on the island and then the color filtering i just i just couldn't get past that it, it, it took away from the beautiful music except for that one song you've got to be carefully taught i i thought it was effectively used there those are the the main ingredients of my uh not, not favorite part.
0: So I, 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 had, I had agree on two of those. I thought the story seemed disjointed and there were parts that just stuck out as being unnecessary. Um, and it was a two and a half hour movie, so it's like they could have maybe cut it down a bit. Um, and then the color filtering was just so bizarre as to be like unwatchable in some parts. But the dubbing, I didn't realize that that had happened, so I didn't really that didn't really distract me very much. Uh, I didn't realize oh, okay. that until you told me. Uh, so that part didn't bother me very much. And I, I got to the end of the movie and I just felt like it was a fun movie. I, I really enjoyed it and I, I came away saying, yeah, I liked it. And so in our rating scale of uh, one to 10, 10 being the best, uh, which I think we've only given to one movie so far. Uh, I would give this an eight. I, I varied my scale on this one. I went
1: six and a half out of ten. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I decided I'm not going to go six or seven. I'll go, s-. anyway, if I had to come in on a whole number, I would say six out of ten. Um, I just, I find it to be better than average, but in comparison to some of the other musicals I've seen and then things I've talked about today, i that's where I landed on the rating.
0: I thought it was up there with uh, On the Town. I think we gave On the Town an eight.
1: Yeah, I, see, I I felt On the Town holds up better today than South Pacific for some reason. Maybe I like the music better. I don't know.
0: Well, it's in an urban environment, so that might help. Um, this one, it did feel like it was something from out of the past, but it was yes. interesting to watch it because... I kind of like that aspect of it. It was sort of like you said, this transitionary period between still kind of the the, the post the pre-war era and the post-war era, mm-hmm. and and I liked kind of imagining what it would have been like to live during that time period, especially in in those conditions. It was it seemed like it would have been really cool in some ways like living on the island on the beach but then you think about all the bugs and the heat and the you know the fact that they're in a war and it sounds kind of terrible at the same time so yeah so
1: um does that wrap it up for our review this week do you think or i
0: think that's enough yeah i think we covered the bases (laughs) (laughs) i i did enjoy it i just uh it,
1: it seemed a little dated to me so what are we going to do in uh, our next? This was episode eleven today. So for episode twelve, what do you think we should do?
0: Well, before I say what I think we should do, I, I think I'd like to set a goal for ourselves of getting to at least a hundred episodes. What do you think?
1: Oh, I think that'd be great. I mean, there's thousands of movies to pick from, and we can we can cover the waterfront.
0: Yeah, I think that we should should do that. It's about two years worth of doing podcasts. That should. <laughs> we can see how we feel after a hundred. <laughs>
1: right. If we start to get redundancy in, <laughs> yeah. we'll have to take a break.
0: But anyway, so for two weeks from now, uh, we decided to come back to one of our favorite directors. I have no idea if this is a 20th century Fox movie, but it, we seem to be on a roll with, with that studio. Uh, but it's blazing saddles. Another Melbourne Yay! extravaganza. And I, I, Imagine this is going to be a long review with lots of clips from the movie because I can I can remember a dozen that I would want to pick out right now. <laughs> and now I haven't seen the be, movie in a while.
1: This will be a good one because when we did Young Frankenstein, I think we combined came up with almost 20 favorite scenes. I'm sure there will be that many in this one. I can think of 10 myself. So we'll probably split it into two episodes, I would guess. Yeah, and the maybe. thing about it is he did these the uh, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein—they were back to back. He was on a roll.
0: He was—I think that was his uh, most productive, creatively most productive time. Yeah. I mean, he went on to make some other great movies as well, and, and has been involved oh, with uh, so many Broadway and, and television and whatnot. But yeah, those two are on my top twenty all-time favorite movie lists.
1: It'll be a fun one to do, and uh, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Me too. All right. So until two weeks from now, uh, I'm Matt Johnson coming to you from gorgeous, sunny Seattle, Washington.
1: And this is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles where the weather is almost the same as Seattle today. I looked on my uh, weather forecast.
0: Awesome. So good then. Good weather. All good right. Weather. Until then, happy movie watching.
1: I like like when we're talking about Bally High of the psychedelic nature. I keep thinking of Timothy Leary. He would have loved this movie, the guy that did the LSD experiments.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: If he went to it, he'd probably think, oh, man, this is great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I liked your interpretation that maybe Liette was just a figment of his imagination.
1: The way she appeared, like, poof.